Let us pray. Gracious Father, once again, we approach Thy throne in the blood righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that You would be with us as we continue in this service. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to take up this last section of the second chapter of John, that is, verses 24 through 29. I'll read those verses and then we'll come back and look at them somewhat. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of Him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. Even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in Him. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If ye know that He is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. This morning we looked at those verses preceding that, showing that to deny Christ is to be uh, a liar and to be antichrist. And we pointed out that God's children know Christ and that they are taught of God and follow after Him. But it's not just left up to the Holy Spirit to teach us independently of the Word. Because He comes on and down and even opens it up in verse 24, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. And we see in these verses, he talks about the truth of God abiding or living in us and we living in it. In other words, even though the Lord teaches us and guides and directs us, and even though He may He does give us spiritual life immediately by the Holy Spirit, we are still to read and study the Word and to live in it. If I come to your house 
I may come and come in and sit down and visit with you for a while and then get up and go home. I don't live there. I don't abide there. And likewise, we're not to just come haphazardly to the Scriptures and just read and study here and there, but we are to be immersed in the teachings of the Holy Scriptures throughout. <clears throat> we pointed out this morning from uh, John 6, Matthew, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, and also in uh, Hebrews 8, where it said that God teaches us. But as we said, even though God does teach us, He is also going to teach us by our reading and studying the Scriptures. I've got several lengthy quotes here that I thought was good, and so I will uh, go to them at this time. But first of all, I want to say again, we must not only hear the truth or simply believe it to be true, but that truth must be living and vital in us. It must be living and vital in us. And as we abide in the truth, the Holy Spirit continually leads us into all truth. It is not that we know everything about any or all truth, but we do have an understanding of truth overall. There is an overall understanding of the basic truths of God and the salvation that the anointing gives to the believer, that is, the Holy Spirit gives to the believer. And we used some illustrations this morning regarding that, particularly uh, comes to mind again Sister Annie Henson, that, uh, you know, she uh, was a very simple woman, and I say that in the most positive light, not in a negative sense in any way, but she taught herself to read and write. But she was not very educated. She wouldn't read, be reading theology and things of that nature. But she had an overall understanding of the truth of the Scriptures. And we also used the illustration, or the, uh, talked about the thief on the cross. We doubt that uh, if you were to have asked the thief on the cross when the Lord, I mean, when the thief said to the Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You know, the Lord didn't say, Well, uh, okay, what's your understanding of the Trinity? Or what do you believe about justification? What's your understanding of propitiation? No, it wasn't anything of that nature but it's just the simplicity of the fact that Christ 
was a king and he had a kingdom. And the thief wanted to be remembered of him. The first quote that I want to give is from Kenneth Wiest, and he said this, The exhortation includes more than that the saint should allow the basic teaching concerning the person of our Lord to remain in him. He should have that attitude towards it that it will also feel at home in him. In other words, what you understand about the Trinity, it not only is in your mind, but it feels at home there. Or maybe redemption and other things. He should have that attitude towards it that it will also feel at home in him, have ready access to every part of his life. In other words, it is the responsibility of the believer to nurture the stability and growth of those doctrines by a holy life and a determination to cling to them and remain true to them. I thought that was a good explanation of it. In other words, we don't just know the know the term and what the term means, but it is a term that feels at home with us. And we feel at home enjoying it. Arthur Pink made this statement. The expression, let that abide in you, is designedly antithetical to the truth is not in us or in you. From chapter 1 verse 8 and 2 verse 4 which means far more than that they were ignorant or unacquainted with it, namely that the truth was not present as a vital principle in the soul as an animating force in their lives. It is not sufficient to hear sound preaching and become mentally acquainted with God's Word. The same must find a permanent lodgment in the heart if we are really to be benefited by it. Human nature being what it is, weak and unstable, there is a real danger of relinquishing the truth under pressure a persecution for the gospel's sake, or through being absorbed with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and thus being only a thorny ground hearer. Yes, such is certain to be the outcome unless we be divinely preserved 
by God stirring us up to guard against the same and by diligent performance of our duty. In other words, it's not just enough to hear the preaching. We need to study it. We need to incorporate it into our very heart and soul. Here's a quote by John Brown that uh, this is probably John Brown of Edinburgh or it may have been his grandfather, John Brown of Haddington. Pink gave the quote. Pink didn't say which John Brown it was. And I didn't try to take the time to try to uh, figure it out. I've, I've got John Brown commentary on Hebrews and First uh, Peter. And I have John Brown of Haddington study Bible. It's a big leatherback Bible, you know, about a foot tall and maybe uh, almost a, uh, probably eight or ten inches wide. Might be a foot wide and a little bit over a foot tall, about six inches thick, uh, leather back and, and brass around it. But anyway, it's called John Brown of Haddington Study Bible. And uh, I should have taken time to look that up. But anyway, he had a little short quote along this line. said, Truth must be kept before the mind in order to it producing an appropriate effect. How can it be kept before the mind but by our giving heed to it? In other words, again, talking about how that the, the truth must abide in us and we abide in it. You know what abide means, don't you? To live. To live, must the truth must be alive in us. Pink went on to say, another quote from him: "Knowledge of the word must be accompanied by faith therein, obedience thereto, and all other due respects which in any way concern it." Otherwise, it will soon pass out of the mind like water out of a leaky utensil. And then he gave the quote from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. And then another somewhat lengthy quote by Robert Candish on the truth abiding in us and we abiding in the truth. This anointing is permanent. It abideth in you. It is not a fitful emotion 
or wayward impulse or a rapture of excitement alternating perhaps with deep depression. It partakes more of the nature of a calm, constant, settled conviction. Frames, feelings, fancies are all fluctuating. They're like the surface waters of the ocean agitated by every wind. But this inward anointing is far down in the still depths beneath. It abideth in us. The same always in its own inherent stillness and strength amid whatever tossings it, contact, it contacts with the upper air may cause. Through tears and cries as well as smiles and laughter, it abides in us the same, as it did in Him who rejoiced in the Spirit and who also groaned in the Spirit. To quote concerning Christ, this unction then is not to be confounded with our own varying moods of mind or the varying impressions made on us by things without. It is something far more stable. <coughs> Excuse me. It gives a certain firm and fixed apprehension of divine things and persons which these vicissitudes can scarcely interrupt or weaken and cannot destroy. I thought those were some well-proportioned uh, statements about what it is for it to abide in us. The unction abiding. In other words, the truths of God abiding in us. The truths of God abiding in us. Again, verse 24, Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. I don't think I have it written down in my notes anywhere, but turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter uh, 15. Well, first of all, I want chapter 14. I'll read just verse, pick up in verse 23 for time's sake. If a man love me, 
He will keep my words. And my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye shall hear is not mine, but the Father's which hath sent me. And so you see there an abiding, uh, the Word living in you, you living in the Word, you loving the Word, you loving the Son, you loving the Son, you love the Father. All of that is abiding one in the other. But the Comforter, verse 26, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Then in the 15th chapter of John, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So here you see that if you're abiding, and if you go on and read there, you'll find that uh, particularly reading uh, chapters 14 and 15, and even 16 of John, as you abide in Christ, you'll be abiding in the Father. And as you're abiding in the Father, you'll be abiding in Christ. And as you're abiding in the Father and in Christ, you're going to be abiding in the Word. You're going to be abiding in the Holy Spirit. It all links together. And this abiding that John spoke of in his epistle there in verse 24 in chapter 2, Notice what he says in verse 25. And this is the promise that He hath promised us eternal life. This is eternal life. Eternal life is not just being born again and then... When you die, you go be with God. And when the resurrection comes, your body is resurrected, and then you're with God forever. No, eternal life is abiding in Christ and abiding in the truth as we live out our lives in this world now. Eternal life is not a figment of the imagination of religionists. Eternal life is the truth of Christianity. Look at John chapter, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, in verse 3. And this is eternal life. If somebody asks you, what is eternal life? 
you should know John 17, 3. This is eternal life. What is it? That they might know thee, the only true God whom thou hast sent. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is knowing God. In short, eternal life is knowing God. It's not knowing about God. Knowing God. You're living with Him. He's living with you. You're living in Him. He's living in you. You're loving Him. He's loving you. You love His Word. You abide in His Word. He abides in you. And this is what John was saying in his epistle. Abiding in God. Abiding in Christ. This is eternal life. This is the promise that He has given us. What is it that He promised? He promised us eternal life. What is eternal life? Knowing God. You can study the Trinity. You can study the Incarnation. You can study redemption. You can study depravity. You can study all of those things and not know God. You can study all of those things and not know God. You can study, have fellowship somewhat with your neighbors. But it is a husband and a wife that know each other. They know each other far more than they know their neighbors. We love God. We have an intimacy with Him. And this is not just some of God's children. This is all. As he puts it here in this epistle. Again, I give you a quote from Arthur Pink. Now there is nothing more pleasing to God than our making a good use of His promises. First, by collecting them, storing them in our minds, meditating much upon them, making them our spiritual food. Second, by faith's laying hold of the same, that is these promises, and pleading them before the throne of grace. And third, by cleansing ourselves from everything contrary to holiness. In your prayers before God, how often 
Do you quote scripture to God? How often do you remind God of His promises? Go back and read the Psalms. And you'll see that David many times and other psalmists are quoting other psalms. When Elijah was on Mount Carmel, when he prayed that the fire fall from heaven and consume the sacrifice, you know what Elijah said? He said, Lord, as Thou hast said. Let me see if I can find that right quick. That's too good to give up. forgotten exactly where that's found but let me see if I can find it right quick It's First uh, Kings, chapter eighteen. Verse thirty-six. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel, and that I am Thy servant, 
and that I have done all these things at thy word. Notice that. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again, and so on. But the thing that I wanted to emphasize there, Elijah was doing what God had told him to do. And then he did it. And then he said, God, let everybody know that I'm doing what you told me to do. He reminded the Lord. And you remember that the Lord Jesus taught us on two different occasions that we are to pray and not faint. And one occasion was when uh, the importunate friend went to his friend's house and said, I've got company that's come and I need some bread. And uh, he started knocking on the door and the guy said, uh, everybody's been in bed asleep, go away. But he just kept knocking and kept knocking and kept knocking. Finally, the man said, well, you're going to wake everybody up anyway. I might as well get up and give you the bread. That's Barbara's paraphrase. And Jesus said, that's the way you all pray. And then he said, he gave the example of the unjust judge. The widow went before the judge and said, avenge me and my adversary. And the judge said, I don't fear God. I don't fear anybody. I don't fear, I, I just do whatever I want to do. I don't care what anybody says. I'm not going to do it. But she just kept going. He said, she's going to wear me out. So he avenged her of her adversary. Jesus used that as an example for us to continue praying. What are some things that you have prayed for and you've kind of just given up? Well, I don't believe God's going to answer it. Keep praying, beloved. God said pray. You leave the answering or not up to Him. We're to do the praying. And this is what this is what uh, we're talking about here: uh, abiding in the Word. That's, I'm just using prayer for one thing. Another thing is talking about our justification, that our, our righteousness is in Christ. He doesn't look at us for, because we're doing everything exactly right, but yet we're to be doing things in holiness. In fact, this quote that I gave from Pink. Uh, he one of the passages he gave was Second Corinthians chapter seven in verse one. We're to be active and engaged. Second Corinthians seven one, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We're responsible for our spirit as well as our flesh. You say, well, that, that verse kindly condemns me. It condemns me. But we need to remind ourselves accordingly.
I've got a couple of passages here that I wrote down. I don't remember why. Let me look at them right quickly. But uh, Psalm 119.49 just telling us that by remembering the Word, it causes us to increase our hope and so on. But that's what eternal life is. It's living in the Word. It's knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ. Verse 27. Well, verse 26, first of all. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. There are a lot of things that we need to know and keep, keep in mind. We must ever be on our guard against false teachers that continually assault the truth of the Holy Scriptures of the Gospel. When something comes our way that is not kosher according to the Word of God, we need to avoid it like the plague. Let me give another illustration. A lot of people today have an app on their phone or computer that's called Facebook. And then there's emails that we get. And sometimes we may get something on Facebook or from an email that it will appear to be from a friend of ours. I've gotten emails that it said it was from a certain person, a real good friend of mine. But when I looked at the email, something didn't look right. And then I looked at the address. Now it had somebody's name in there that I knew. But the email address wasn't anything that I had from that person. And I had three email addresses from this one person. And none of the three matched that address. And the message that came in the email didn't seem kosher. And immediately I figured that was a scam. And I didn't do anything but one thing. Delete it. Sometimes you get... I've gotten things from Facebook. So I had, 
so and so recommended so and so as a friend to be a friend. Well, I was already a friend to them. And I knew then that was a scam. That was a hack. And sometimes you may get something in Facebook. You know, it, it says it's from one person, but from everything in the message, you know that's not from them. So you avoid it like the plague. <coughs> you avoid it. And oftentimes, people will come along preaching things, and you know that that's something I haven't heard before. You avoid it like the plague. You're afraid to open it. You're afraid to open it. There are some books. I'll even go this far right now. Several years ago, about 50 years ago now, I guess, I did an in-depth study on demonology. I say an in-depth, somewhat in-depth, not too much. But there are some books that I would not even allow to be in my house much less in my library. And I have seen some of these books. I've seen them in used bookstores. And the first time I saw one of those books, my immediate response was to pull it off the shelf and look at it for a minute. But then I realized, no, I don't need that. I don't need that in my mind. I don't need to have any information by that. And as itching as my thumb and fingers were, I didn't touch the book. Things that are not, that do not ring true according to the word of the Lord. We are to avoid them. These things have I written unto you that seduce you. Satan will do anything he can to get you and to keep you from the Word of God and from the things of God. And we need to be on our guard. We are to continually contend for the faith. We are reminded to contend for the faith. Naturally, you have to have it in order to contend for it. But look at Matthew. We'll look at a few verses here. First of all, Matthew 24.
Matthew 24, 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have foretold you. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe him not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, there's going to be all kinds of people trying to lead you astray. You know, we mentioned this morning the Jehovah's Witness. I forget what year it was, but <clears throat> Charles Taz Russell, uh, he predicted that Jesus Christ was going to come back and a bunch of the folks got on the mountaintop somewhere. I forgot where that was now. I have to go back and look all this up. And uh, he didn't show up. Oh, he made some misjudgments in his prediction. So he tried it again and still didn't show up. So since he didn't show up, so now they say he has a secret coming. He comes in their kingdom halls secretly. That's nothing but heresy. That's nothing but heresy. Trying to deceive. Trying to deceive. And it's deceived a lot of folks. You remember Jesus said... No man knows the day nor the hour of the coming of the Son of Man. Not even He Himself. And so when I hear somebody say that Jesus is going to come back at such and such a time, well, I I know right then they're wrong. They're a liar. There was a man just a few years ago, like 10 or 15 years ago, I think it was Harold Camping, I believe that was a man's name, made a big prediction Christ was coming. A lot of people sold their homes, bought mobile homes, and so on and so forth. He didn't show up. He made evening news. Oh, he was in the limelight for several weeks. But he was a liar. False prophet. Look at Romans 16. Romans chapter 16. Verses 17 and 18. I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the heart of the simple. We've seen a lot of 
people come among us, not only in this congregation, but in others, all they did was cause division. God says avoid them. Avoid them. They're seducers. You remember Proverbs 6 where one of the things that the Lord hates, He hates those that sow discord among the brethren. Second Corinthians chapter eleven. <coughs> verse thirteen through fifteen. For there are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I'm going to stop there. I've got several more passages. But I want to stop there and come back and take up here next time, Lord willing. It's an important thing that we know the truth so that we can spot error and not be deceived. Let's pray. Thank You for Your Word, Father. It's quite sharp in many places and when we are to contend for the faith and stand against opposition and heresy help us to do so with the right spirit and not with a haughty self-righteous attitude for we don't want to do that. Hold us in check, our God. In Jesus' name, Amen.